welcome to the Motorsport Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Motivate Training and Management. This is the podcast where we talk to drivers and industry experts to help you maximize your performances on and off the track. Let's get started with today's show. Hi guys, welcome to episode 22 of the Motorsport Coaching Podcast. I am your host, Belinda Risley, and today we're talking sponsorship agreements with Scott McKenzie from Velocity Legal. So if you're wanting to know why you should have one, when you should implement one, and how, I'm sure you're going to get lots of out of today's show. Before we get started though, I'm going to read us a testimonial from our iTunes account. So thanks Erin for this wonderful testimonial. Erin states, this is a great podcast, some excellent information surrounding motorsports, including sponsorship, dietary advice, and sports psychology. I highly recommend it for some insider information into getting the most out of your motorsports. Erin, thanks for your testimonial. And because of that, you'll be going into the draw to win a 12-month coaching package with Motivate Training. Now, let's get started. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining us today at the Motorsport Coaching Podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and Velocity Legal. Yeah, sure thing. And thank you so much for having me. Um, just a bit about myself. My name is Scott McKenzie. I'm one of the directors at Velocity Legal. We essentially set up our firm because we tried to remove all the things that people usually hate about lawyers and, and we just wanted to do things a little bit differently. So yeah, I'm not really a, a salesman type of guy. So this is probably the question that I'll struggle with the most. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into a lawyer? Why did you want to become a lawyer then? Um, that's a, a good question. I think I've always been someone who likes a bit of a challenge and I like thinking through problems and coming up with, I guess, creative solutions to those problems. And law was a bit of a natural fit for that one. So yeah, it's something that I kind of fell into in that sense. And Ever since I started, things have been going pretty well and yeah, I've been pretty fortunate with the journey today. What role do you play at Velocity also? What, like, what kind of law do you specialise in? Um, yeah, so I lead the commercial law team and in terms of our firm, we specialise in a bunch of different areas of law, but in terms of my particular expertise, it's in uh, commercial law, which is, you know, the most classic commercial law um, bit of advice that people come to us for is, you know, a review of the contract or preparation of the contract or, you know, dealing with any commercial business matters. And that's definitely my bread and butter. And that's what I love. So, so you can help us today about questions around sponsorship agreements. <laughs> Absolutely. I've um, yeah prepared and advised a lot of sponsors uh, on a lot of sponsorship agreements. So I can definitely provide some uh, good insights and, and practical guidance. Yeah, and so how can a lawyer assist competitors with sponsorship agreements? So in, in terms of these agreements and, and the, the role that lawyers play, I think the most important thing is if you take away all of the, the legal jargon and everything like that, it's important that the competitor is comfortable with the parameters of the arrangement and what exactly they must do or what exactly they're obliged to do under the sponsorship agreement and, and also their rights under that contract because essentially you're entering into quite a, a serious contract and you need to make sure that you're not kind of laying awake at night worrying about whether you you know whether there's something in that contract that could potentially hurt you in future if something goes wrong so i guess yeah the the role that lawyers traditionally play with um these kind of agreements is just making sure that the, the competitors are 
as comfortable as possible with the terms. And is it more beneficial to have an agreement, say business to business, or is it okay for it just to be an athlete to a sponsor? Yes, yeah, so there are many different ways in which these arrangements can be structured and no particular way is, I guess, better or preferable than any other way. Essentially, the same rules will apply that you want to be very comfortable with um, what rights you have under the contract and what obligations you have and just making sure that you're well-placed to, I guess, protect yourself if anything goes wrong or if it doesn't quite work out as everyone was expecting. And whose role is it normally to provide that agreement? Is it from the sponsor to the athlete or athlete to the sponsor? Or again, is there a right or wrong way? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And from a strategic or tactical standpoint, we often advise our clients to try to prepare the first version of the contract because it does allow you to get off on the front foot and then it puts the, I guess, the other side or the other party to the contract in a, in a position where they're considering your proposed terms and they have to come back with proposed amendments to what you were suggesting. So I'd certainly recommend putting your best foot forward and preparing that contract or leading with a contract that you're comfortable with in the first instance, if that's commercially possible in the situation. Yeah, I always try and promote for our um, clients, our athletes to get their door in the foot, um, foot in the door, sorry, first yeah, of yeah. all. Um, and seeing like that they are a lot more professional and that they are very serious about that sponsorship. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, in terms of professionalism, it does show that, you know, they're very well organized and that I guess they're more familiar with these processes where we have seen situations in the past where, you know, we've been advising an athlete and then the sponsor will just put forward a very aggressive contract thinking that the athlete will just sign on the dotted line and, and not really get advice on it. So yeah, there's definitely that tactical advantage if possible to, to lead forward with your own agreement. And when it comes to an agreement, is that something that you should work with the sponsor to complete or do you, you know, the competitor just do it themselves based on what they want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, with these processes, I definitely do recommend um, the parties to be as collaborative as possible because a situation that you want to avoid is where both parties are trying to, you know, point score over the other and everyone's just clashing heads because mm. it's, it's much harder to work out a win-win solution in those situations. To the extent to which you can collaborate and have very open and transparent conversations around the terms of the agreements, I, I definitely recommend going down, down that path. But that being said, there is a boundary to that. You wouldn't exactly want them, you know, kind of sitting there as you're preparing the contract <laughs> and trying to put pressure on you or anything like that. So it is a bit of a balancing act but generally try to be as collaborative as possible because then there's a greater chance you can work through issues. Yeah, and ideally this is something that should be decided on, you know, before this point of time. Absolutely. And I guess, um, you know, going back to your earlier question as well about, you know, how lawyers can assist, often the bigger picture 
here is that the sponsor and the athlete have probably already had some kind of conversation before the lawyers really get involved. And the lawyer's role in the process should be to essentially document and advise on what has been discussed already between the parties rather than to just you know, impose themselves from the very beginning and to try to change everyone's minds about, you know, the, the nature of the general deal. Yeah, and so when they are having these conversations with a potential sponsor, um, what are the fundamentals um, to having an agreement drawn up should they be looking at? Yeah, so I guess the, um, the key cornerstones of an arrangement of this nature and the key things that I'd definitely be recommending both sides to to the agreement to be considering. There's a couple of things. Um, first of all, exclusivity. So what that means is can the athlete go and uh, seek other sponsorships or is this an exclusive sponsorship and they must not get sponsored by anyone else or they must not get sponsored by anyone else uh, in a competing industry to the sponsor and and what parameters get placed around that. Another aspect is payment. And this might seem to be, you know, such a ridiculous point to even be making, but it's actually one of the areas that there is a real potential for issues if it's not thought through in a clear manner. And what I mean by payment is how much is going to be paid when does it have to be paid, whether there are any kind of key performance criteria built around the payment, whether any aspect of it is conditional upon certain things happening, whether there are any bonus payments and just basically absolutely every aspect in in relation to payment. Another interrelated concept with payment as well is if the athlete's actually receiving some kind of goods or services as a substitute for a payment mm-hmm. and you know it's obviously important to to map that out in the contract in a in a bit of detail as well other aspects that are often big ticket items are the duration or the term of the sponsorship so it might be a six-month term it might be a year term it might be a five-year term it's good to get on the same page about how long it'll run for and Also, the natural um, kind of segue from term is termination, which is the circumstances in which an athlete or a sponsor can get out of the agreement. And it's so critical to give this some good thought because you want to make sure that if things just are not working out and it's turning into a nightmare scenario that you can escape the arrangement without too much damage. I, yeah, definitely could put you to sleep talking through all these different <laughs> aspects. But yeah, there are, I'll cancer through a couple of others really quickly. So getting clarity on what the athlete is actually going to do or yep. be obligated to do is a critical part. So will they be required to appear in, you know, certain marketing functions or, you know, what exactly are they expected to do? Also, there should be a really robust intellectual property clause Mm -hmm. or conversations around intellectual property in relation to the agreement. And I know intellectual property is a very legalistic term, but essentially what it means is, you know, branding and rights in relation to, I guess, the personal brand of the athlete 
but also the personal of the branding and the trademarks of the sponsor just working out what situations in which um you know the athlete's image or the the sponsor's trademarks can be used yeah. i think that's that's a pretty good starting starting list of um of things and there are definitely more kind of granular legal points and uh, yeah i just don't want to put people to sleep i could talk <laughs> hours about it but yeah. <laughs> One of the other big things that I'm ensuring that our clients are doing at the moment is actually specifying on the social media cost. Mm. So I feel like a, there's a lot of misconceptions, um, especially sponsors. They think that, oh, you know, we can post images and post videos as much as we can, and, and that's a great thing. But I, I truly believe that there should be a cost associated with per cost or per photo or per image, per video that should be um, documented within this agreement. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. And I've seen those kind of conversations play out a few times. And I completely agree with you. I mean, from an athlete standpoint, you'd want to be quite clear on the fact that the sponsor is limited in some kind of way about how many posts they can make you do. But also, if you can get a certain price per post or per advertisement then that can be a really good way of dealing with any issues around that um, i think it's yeah it's an excellent point yeah because i feel like then a lot of the athletes drivers that they become a bit resentful towards their sponsor um, when they become quite demanding of their time as well so if we can set that um president at at the beginning of the relationship to what the expectations are for both parties um then it's going to be a win-win for both for everybody <laughs> absolutely absolutely right now, Scott, I know you said you could talk for ages, but just quickly, um, because what happens when things go wrong? You just mentioned about, you know, contracts not being adhered to or, you know, a mismanagement of sponsors. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is the process when basically the, the agreement um, isn't adhered to? Yes, so really good question again. Um, we usually build in a dispute resolution process within the sponsorship agreement and essentially that's designed to keep any disagreement or any arguments or disputes out of court so it has a mandatory good faith discussion period between the parties to try and take the heat out of the argument and to try and get them to resolve it if they can't resolve it at that point the matter generally gets pushed off to mediation and then if mediation doesn't work then the parties can be free to go off to court and explore their options that way. But more generally, if an athlete or a sponsor finds themselves in a situation where they've got a contract in place and it doesn't have a dispute resolution process or they don't have a contract in place at all, then it is a little bit of a free for all. And it can be a race to kind of issue proceedings in court and claim that there was some kind of wrongdoing and to try to you know essentially sue the other party for compensation or any yeah any loss or, or damage that was caused so yeah my biggest tip on this point would just be make sure that you get a contract in place that has a dispute resolution process which can try to keep things away from the courts and is there ever a time you shouldn't present a sponsor with an agreement uh, is yeah like I, I know some of the the athletes listening today would go well you know they only sponsor me five hundred dollars 
for maybe a one-off race meeting or might just be $500 for 12 months, is it still viable to, to submit an agreement to the sponsor? Yeah, I I definitely understand with some of these um, some of these arrangements, it might not always be commercially possible to to get a contract put in place, or it might not make sense from a financial standpoint. Yeah, it's so tough because okay. lawyers are paid to be conservative, and like that's just the way that we're trained. And I would say that even if it's like a back of the napkin type of agreement, you just need to get something in place because the, if you don't have anything in place, there's real potential that, yeah, there could be some headaches if things go wrong. But if it's not commercially possible, then it's just a matter of weighing up the risk. And if you're, you know, if a sponsor's saying, I'll give you, you know, $5,000 for a certain sponsorship and it's only a one day thing, then the risk you would assume would be pretty low. Um, but yeah. Yeah, but it could make it a difference if someone can race or not. So, you know, someone might say, yeah, I'll give you $5,000 and that would enable the, the driver to, to drive on that day and then come race weekend, they don't actually hand over the 5000 then. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, com- completely. I, I think you and I are on, on the same page with this one. Like if you can get something in place, definitely go for it. It's kind of commercially negligent and quite risky to not. And so, Scott, should an agreement only be for financial sponsorship or do you recommend having one for both like just a product sponsorship and service sponsorships? Yeah, um, really, in terms of the sponsorship agreements, the critical thing is to get one put in place irrespective of what the nature of the, yeah, the consideration or the, the nature of what's being provided is. So, yeah, the answer is absolutely yes, irrespective of whether it's financial or product or service. Um, there should be, should be a contract put in place. And how often should the competitor revisit um, the agreement? Is it, you know, per event or is it yearly? Uh, we spoke about terms and conditions earlier on. But, for example, say, again, where someone was just giving that one-off payment for 5000 maybe for this round, and then they'll say, oh, we'll see again afterwards. Are you going to continue to keep, give them an agreement or how often should the agreement be revisited? Yeah, and really with this, with this aspect, I guess the key, asp- uh, the key component of it is you don't want to be making life difficult for someone who's essentially giving you money. And if for a driver, it, it makes the, the difference between you know, continuing to race or not, you don't really want to be overwhelming the sponsor with paperwork. And you, in those kind of situations, I'd recommend getting a sponsorship agreement done upfront, but make sure that sponsorship agreement is more of a fluid document, which contemplates that there may be arrangements in the future and there's no need to sign a new contract. And and rarely if the sponsorship agreement is prepared well, it will contemplate that the parties don't have to, you know, produce and sign a new contract every time there's a new little sub arrangement put in place. But as a general rule, um, with how often you should revisit these arrangements, in the early days, it's good to revisit them as much as possible to make sure everyone's on the same track. But then once you know that everyone's on the same track, then there's no burning imperative to, to keep checking every race or every few months. You could probably push it out to yearly or, 
or even after, you know, a couple of years before it gets revisited again. Sounds good. A few years, as may be great <laughs> wanted to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if it's if it's possible. <laughs> now, Scott, you mentioned the words um, intellectual property. Can you tell the guys what is that for those that don't know? Yeah, so intellectual property just it's basically a legal term which refers to all of your kind of branding um, and all of the rights associated with your image or from a sponsor's standpoint, it would be all of, you know, their trademarks and their copyright and, and things like that. So intellectual property is a very, very broad legal term. Um, and I guess the relevance here is the sponsor will want to protect their intellectual property so that, the athlete or the driver isn't, you know, using their logo in an inappropriate way. And equally the the driver or the athlete will want to be quite clear on the fact that the sponsor can't just start throwing their name around um, in a way that they're not happy with. Yeah. And I think sometimes athletes, um, competitors, they um, feel like they can never say no to sponsors as well. They feel like, Oh, this person's giving me money. I must be like the yes person yeah yeah it's, it's so tough because the leverage in those situations can be quite imbalanced yeah. but yeah it's yeah it is tough <laughs> sometimes <laughs> those negotiations what are some other legal matters that athletes should be mindful of when they're talking sponsorship agreements yeah so um from a legal perspective one of the most common traps that we see um athletes fall into is just the general misleading conduct provisions. And what I mean by that is legislation and, and case law makes it very clear that if you engage in conduct in a commercial negotiation that's in any way misleading, that you can find yourself in a very tricky situation. And equally, if you make uh, representations to the public. So for example, if you did a social media post, um, you've got to be very careful that you don't get pursued for misleading uh, conduct. And the reason why this is quite a complex area, which is interrelated with sponsorship agreements is an athlete could find themselves in a situation where the sponsor is telling them to say certain things. So for example, there might be a competitor who is told by a sponsor, which is a, a vitamin company to post on social media that a certain vitamin, you know, cures every possible disease known to man or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. The athlete has to be very careful because it is themselves who is them, themselves who is making that representation to the public and someone who's you know out there and ends up buying a bunch of these vitamins based on that representation could potentially make a claim against the athlete now it is quite a complex area of law but i think the, the big picture comment here um, of something to be aware of is just uh, try to make sure to the greatest extent possible that you're not doing anything that a reasonable person might consider to be misleading. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't think about that, but that's, 
um, definitely true. And quite often we say to the athlete that when they are seeking sponsorship, just to make sure that's in line with their values. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, it's one thing to gain sponsorship, <laughs> but it's also it's got to, you've got to um, have sponsorship for someone that you um, agree in their product, their services. Um, it can't just be yes because it'll get you onto the track. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's uh, it's a great bit of advice. <laughs> Now, Scott, do you actually follow motorsports yourself? Yeah, I, I absolutely, uh, absolutely do. It's funny. Um, some of my kind of earliest memories are, are watching, uh, were like watching Bathurst or Sandown with Dad. And I remember, you know, the period of time that Mark Scaife was around, absolutely captivated by him. And I, I do still keep uh, keep an eye on it these days. And look. I'm probably a bit biased because we share the same name, but I'm definitely a big fan of Scott McLaughlin. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and I've also got a um, a good friend who works in the the media team for Jack Perkins as well. So that's a, it's another touch point too. Yeah, uh, we just, I interviewed Jack last week. So his podcast is coming up soon amazing there you go and um yeah i've definitely wasted a, a lot of my time playing forza the, the video oh. game series as well um yeah so i yeah definitely do enjoy motorsport and so as a viewer do you have a favorite track that you love watching uh, i've got to say like just because of the childhood memories of watching bathurst and Sandown with dad like those tracks are they're definitely quite sentimental and yeah they're my favorite yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i think they're everybody's favorite at the moment so like, yeah i know it's a very cliche answer but yeah definitely <laughs> it's all good um, so, Scott, um, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? So, thank you so much for all your knowledge today. Um, hopefully, the guys got a lot out of it, at least some thought processes to start around what goes in, into a sponsorship agreement and why it's important. Really appreciate your time. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a pleasure to, um, to be involved. And in terms of the best way to contact me, um, probably by email is best. And the email address is just... Scott, S-C-O-T-T at velocitylegal.com.au. I do forget about our Facebook post. So just <laughs> here we go. So um, as I do for many uh, of our oncoming guests, um, I put a post on Facebook and ask for any questions. So in the spotlight, Scott, um, yeah. Matt has asked, what benefits are there other than exposure advertising for a business to sponsor a team? Yeah, I think that's a, it, it's a good question. And I think just overall, um, I guess, sponsorship arrangements and just thinking about some of the really successful and long-term ones that I've seen, they generally have an ability to really allow a business to rise with the success of, of an athlete. So, I think there's definitely like the obvious exposure and potential financial revenue that that comes with with a sponsorship and that's quite attractive for a sponsor but it's also the more kind of intangible sense for the owners of that business um that they are you know supporting someone's growth that athlete or that driver or competitor's growth yeah, I know it's uh, it's probably not something that comes to mind initially because a lot of businesses are looking quite aggressively at return on investment for these opportunities. But 
I think the more intangible, just like the warm and fuzzy around the fact that that business is actually supporting someone to, to kind of, you know, essentially push forward with their passions. That can be quite a powerful thing and something that sponsors can get a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction from. Yeah, it is really important for that sponsor to have a connection, um, whether it's from a viewing point or a mechanical point or just from a corporate hospitality point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I've definitely, I think these arrangements can work quite well for sponsors and you can develop a a very clear win-win where, yeah, the, the athlete and the sponsor are in a good situation because of it. Thanks for that one. Our next question is from Erin. Are there any tricky rules with sponsorship that would deter sponsors from sponsoring us? Yeah, so in terms of any tricky rules, I guess there are internal rules for those sponsors, which, I mean, it'll be really hard for someone who's outside any organisation to fully get visibility on that. But sometimes there are very strict policies within larger organisations about what they can sponsor and any limits on that. So... Yeah, the, the first aspect I'd say is the, the internal um, potential restrictions at that sponsor organisation. Um, and then secondly, there might be more external restrictions. So, for example, if there was a race that was, um, you know, being held somewhere that was sponsored by one particular airline and the organisers were telling all of the the drivers or the competitors for, for that race that you absolutely cannot go and get any sponsorship with a competing airline to the one that's sponsoring the, the event overall, yeah. then that can once again create a bit of a restriction. Yeah. The, it's like the Olympics, isn't it? Like for yeah. start when they're sponsored by Speedo, but the, the Olympic team may actually be sponsored by Funky Trunks, um, then they generally have that conflict of interest as well. Absolutely right. And yeah, it can be um it can be tough getting full visibility on all of the potential restrictions. And from a from an athlete um standpoint, I think it's always better to ask the question and, and see if yeah, you can get that approval and clear off any internal hurdles and then if you can you can turn your mind to the external ones. Awesome. So next we have one from our mutual friend Eugene, who's a previous guest, and he said <laughs> Ask Scott, is he a legend? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a classic Eugene question and I love it. And please make sure you ask him the same question <laughs> when you interview him. I, yeah, I think to be confirmed, I think it's a subjective term. <laughs> and being a lawyer, uh, without seeing the definition of legend, it would be hard to commit on it. But I'm going to say yes, just because. (laughs) Thank you very much for your time today, Scott. Um, Well, Scott and I have just finished working on a sponsorship agreement template. So if anybody is after a template, feel free to either give myself a call at Motivate Training and definitely um, contact Scott. And what was your contact details again, Scott? Uh, Yeah, just the email is best, which is just scott, S-C-O-T-T, at velocitylegal.com.au. Scott's email address will be in the show notes as well as a link to Velocity Legal. Um, if there's any questions you have, feel free to give either of us a call. Um, thanks so much again, Scott, for your time today. Oh, no, it's my pleasure, Belinda. Thank you so much for having me. 
and we might have you again later next year with some more questions. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Right, bye. Bye. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Now, remember all the show notes with the links and the specials mentioned in today's show are available over at motivatetraining.com.au. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Motorsport Coaching, subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I'll read them out and you'll go into monthly draw to win a fantastic prize. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at motivatetraining.com.au or head over to our Facebook page at Motivate2T. Until next time, take care. Thank you.